Hello and welcome back to this series on the circular economy from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. It's Joe here again. I'm at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation headquarters in Cowes on the Isle of Wight. It's a pretty windy day outside, but I'm pleased to welcome you back to this series of conversations with Ellen MacArthur, the founder of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. This is part two of the conversation. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I really recommend you go back and check it out. We heard Ellen's story, how she came to end up working on the topic of a circular economy. And we looked at some of the basics of the circular economy model. This time, we're going to take a closer look at the different parts of a circular economy. If you've seen, if you go on Google Images and search for circular economy diagram, you'll probably end up seeing a diagram of the circular economy that looks a bit like a butterfly. Some people call it the butterfly diagram. It might be one that we've produced at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, and it's composed of two cycles, biological and technical. So when I speak to Ellen in the next few minutes, you're going to hear us going through the different loops of this circular economy. Things like repair, remanufacturing, refurbishing, sharing, maintaining things and recycling the materials that they're made of. We'll also look at biological stuff. You can't very easily repair or maintain a sandwich. So, so how do we make use of those materials and make sure that they never become waste? We'll be thinking along the th lines of the three principles of a circular economy, which Helen will talk through. So those are the, some of the things we'll look at in part two. I'll be back at the end to tell you more about what's coming up in the final part of this series of conversations with Ellen MacArthur. So I hope you can join me then. But for now, here's Ellen. You best describe the way the economy works by looking at how it is today. So today we take a material out of the ground, we make something out of it, and then at the end of the life of that product, in the majority of cases, it gets thrown away. And you could call that a linear system or a linear economy. Now, when you take it to a circular economy, from the outset, you design the system so it works differently. So when you design a product, the product cycles, so it sits within the system for as long as possible. The materials within it uh, sit at their highest value for as long as possible. You design out waste and pollution, because why would you ever create waste? And you also regenerate natural systems. And when you think about the biological materials, the stuff that rots or biodegrades in our economy, you would design the system so that can be recovered, captured, and fed back into the system to be able to regenerate the system. What about the economy part of that? Uh, what, what does, what, what, why is it the circular economy rather than circular products or something like that? The economy is what we all live within. We all live within an economy. It's how money flows within a system, but it's much, much broader than that. You know, the very nature of the way our economy works is actually quite challenging. You know, we've, we've had the Industrial Revolution. There weren't many of us around. Now things have just grown and exploded. We have more people. We have more use of resources. We have uh, a culture, really, that, that takes many, many, many more materials much, much more quickly. And in that linear system where you take it, you make it, and you throw it, we're just kind of using this stuff up faster and faster. So if you change the whole system, you could call that a circular economy. So it's about not just... Even if we're thinking about products and materials, it's not just about one product, but about all the different um, systems that we use to create them and use them mm. all working together. I mean, it's everything from the design of the product, what sits within it, 
whether you can recover the materials at the end of the product's life. It's how the product sits within the system that then enables it to be recoverable so it can come back to the person who made it or understands what's in it to get those materials out. And it's also the biological materials that sit within the system. So, you know, food waste isn't really a product, but valorizing that and keeping it within the system is absolutely vital. So it's looking at that whole big picture of everything that flows right across the world, you know, really from a materials backbone, technical in the form of plastics and metals, and biological in the form of, you know, it could be cotton, it could be um, timber, it could be right. food waste, it mm. could be anything that physically biodegrades. And I think something that for me is a bit was a bit of a kind of breakthrough in understanding that topic is this idea of use versus consumption. So we frequently talk about consuming stuff, mm. which is associated with that that straight line model that you just described. But actually, we don't consume most things. We consume mm. just food. food. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, I think I heard someone say once, if you didn't eat it, you didn't really consume it. So um, which suggests that there's a huge potential in shifting from that straight line to the circle because most, th most things could keep going around in a loop. Absolutely. I mean, even food waste, human waste, can cycle. You know, there's still value in that, you know, what comes out of us. Um, you can still fit that within the system. But, yeah, that, that basic kind of notion of consumption implies that we all consume stuff, and we don't. As you say, we don't at all. When we talk about linear to circular, from a straight line to a circle, we make this circular economy idea sound really simple and one of the things that appeals to me is that in essence it is and you describe that very well but within that concept there are a number of different aspects and it'd be good to just run through some of those now and get talk about how they fit together really you've mm -hmm. spoken about it as a system let's talk about some of those different aspects of the system and one of the the, the first things that I learned about circular economy is this idea of it being made of two different types of material, mm -hmm. technical and biological. So firstly, technical, what, what is the technical cycle? Technical cycle is, is basically anything that doesn't biodegrade. So it would be metals, rare earth metals, um, most plastics, you know, polymers, um, things that you would want to recover within a circular economy and feed back into the system. It could be through recycling, that could be chemical recycling, it could be physical recycling. Um, anything that doesn't biodegrade. And the, the biological cycle is the side of the circular economy that would biodegrade. Now, you could think of that as being, you know, food or, or wood, but it, it's, it's very, very broad. It could be cotton. You know, it could be a form of wood which is chipboard. It could be anything that, if it's designed correctly, which is also very important, would physically biodegrade and return to the, to the soil. And pretty much everything we use, and I would challenge people to kind of look around them and think, most things fit into those categories yeah, that, or, or everything fits into that category really yeah yeah and it's very important to distinguish between the two because the technical materials you want to recover and feed back into the economy you can't let those lie on the ground and disappear because because they won't apart from perhaps some metals will eventually rust away but they're very valuable uh, the biological cycle is valuable in a different way because it's biological material which for billions of years has been returning to the earth and regenerating soil and actually we've kind of broken that cycle with with timber with cotton with food with food waste with human waste you know we're not returning that to the soil and regenerating cycles so you think of those two technical and biological cycles and today we often one of the problems is we mix those things up we so mix we them up all the time them, we combine yeah. biological materials with technical materials in ways that they can't be separated. And clothing would be a great example with, with a polycotton. You know, we can't recover those two different fibres. So that's, a, that's a, a textile that's made of some synthetic stuff and some 
biological. Yeah, all woven together. Yeah. Okay, you mentioned recycling. It's something that people are really familiar with. Most people have made efforts, whether it's in their own home or in their office, to try and uh, be better at recycling. How is it part of circular economy? Well, recycling really, yes, you want to do it, absolutely. Of course, we want to get the materials and feed them back into the system. But it's almost the loop of last resort. So yes, we want to recycle. And packaging would be a, an example of a very high volume, low value material that you would want to design to be 100% recyclable if it were plastic, for example. Um, but then you also have these other products that, that sit in a different space where you want to keep them as the product mm -hmm. for as long as possible. I think a breakthrough moment for me on the recycling topic was around when someone described, take the phone example, mm -hmm. how you might hear from some businesses, whether it's phones or other products, that they want to collect it to um, effectively chop it up and reuse its materials yeah. again, mm -hmm. which is a, for some people, is a good, is a place to start on mm -hmm. circular economy. It gets their foot in the door, maybe, but you're losing all the, all the value that you added to mm. those materials in the first place by um, putting them together. Um, the energy from people or machines that went into assembling mm. something like a phone, the effort that went into effectively like marketing it and mm. shipping it, getting out into someone's hands. So you're you're really stripping that away if you return mm. something to the the raw materials that it's made of. Mm. Yeah, without question, the most value is in the phone itself, and any way you can keep that phone at its highest value for as long as possible, that would be the best option, profitability-wise, actually, from a company perspective. Um, as well as from a broader systemic perspective. But I think also the, the components have value. So it's not just a phone as a phone, but it's the components within the phone that have value, um, more value than the materials that sit within those components. So you almost go through these loops of, you know, the most value is the phone as a phone, then the next loop of value would be the components. And, and you, of course, you can't make a phone that's going to be, you know, technically at the top of its game for, for 10 years, probably not even five years, and often not even three years. But you can design it so that when it stops being serviceable as a phone, you can then recover those materials. So the most value lies in the phone and the remanufacture, resale, decomponentization, but ultimately you definitely want to be able to recover those materials and recycle them. So in essence, if you have to make something again, that surely is, takes more money, energy, Absolutely. And, and I think a great example of that is remanufactured engines. Well, you know, when let's you... go on to remanufacturing then, seeing as you've, uh, it's one of your favourite topics, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you've been around some remanufacturing plants over the years. Um, what, how is this part of circular economy? Well, if you think about making an engine, for example, that engine is a phenomenal piece of equipment that's had you know, millions of hours of R&D put into it, and it works. Most remanufactured engines today have actually broken. They come into a factory, having been broken, they get completely stripped down, ultrasonically cleaned, and then the, the majority of the parts get reassembled into a new engine. About 80% of the original parts are in the new engine, the remanufactured engine, 20% will be replacement parts. But that engine then has 80% less energy and 80% less material in it compared to a new one. So you're saving so much money and resource through keeping it in the system. Now that's a broken engine. If you can predict when an engine's about to break and then remanufacture it before it breaks, you'll be changing much, much, much smaller parts. And if you design it for that, then it'll be a much cleverer system. So with things, with things like engines, heavy 
expensive components, mm. uh, it makes sense. Are we seeing it break out of machinery? Are there other areas where remanufacturing is going to take off? I think remanufacturing is something that's definitely going to grow. And I think, you know, it's the dependency of raw manufacturing from raw materials on energy and materials is huge. When you look at remanufacturing, you already have the constituent parts, you already have the item, you already have the R&D. It's not to say that that engine will keep in use for the next 30, 40, 50 years, because new technology will come in, we'll probably no longer have combustion engines. But if you design it to be remanufacturable, if you design it so you can decomponentize it, if you design it so it comes back to you, you can get everything out and turn it into the next engine of the future. From remanufacturing, what about things like repair and maintenance? Are they, are they the next level up? Well, repair and maintenance keep things in use at their highest level. If you can catch something before it breaks, that would clearly be the right thing to do before you have a, a catastrophic failure that needs um, a remanufacture of that engine, for example. So, yes, repair is absolutely part of a circular economy. That could be a phone, it could be a car, it could be clothing. How can you keep that thing that's been made with the energy and materials in it in use for as long as possible? And if you can repair it where it is, that's without shipping it mm. back to, I mean, I've certainly had products where they've said, we offer a repair service or you can get this repaired, mm. but you need to send it yeah, halfway half around, the, around yeah. the world to some center mm. where they will do that kind of centrally. But we're seeing, see, we're seeing now people empowered to to repair things in their own home mm. or, or with more local phone repair people or mm. um, other kind of craft, crafts or tradespeople that will do that kind of yeah. in situ. It's definitely a growing industry. You know, several times I've repaired my phone, taken it apart, followed the instructions. It takes a couple of hours, but actually by the time you've gone off and taken the phone somewhere and paid someone else to do it and gone back and collected it and not had your phone for a while, it, it's, it's actually quite in inconvenient. And I think there are people who would love to fix it themselves. There are other people who absolutely don't want to do that. So there are different options, but it's great to see this space growing. And then lastly on this technical cycle, sharing is part of, part of the picture. Um, and it could be related to some of the other um, uh, loops that we just mentioned, but we're seeing more people share the products that they own. Mm. Well, if you think about a power drill, you know, most people have one in the home, but most people hardly ever use it. And it's generally not a very high quality drill and it will probably break when you've used it just a few times because it's bottom end of the market. And you say that because people, if they know they're not going to use something very much. They don't like buy high quality. They buy mm. the low quality one mm. just because they, it's, a, it's a necessity. It's a necessity. And, and I think there, there is a shift, particularly in built up areas, you know, when we're, we have you know, cities and more and more people in a concentrated area, you, you don't have to go far to borrow things. You don't have to go far to share things. And, and you can take that to the next level with China with Y Closet. You, know, you effectively lease your clothes. You're sharing your clothes with other people, but you don't think of it like that. Mm -hmm. You're leasing them. You're having this phenomenal box of great clothes delivered to your home, and then off it goes. And so sharing doesn't just have to be between you and your neighbor or you and someone down the road. It can actually be done in a much more sophisticated manner. So that's the technical cycle, things like repair, remanufacturing, recycling. What about the biological cycle? Because the roots are going to be quite different mm -hmm. if we want to make use of those, all the materials and value within that cycle. You can't rent or repair a sandwich. Not really. But if actually, if you think of the principles, they're very similar. So technical products keep them in use for as long as possible. You know, think about this building. This is timber. This has been in use since the 1500s. Um, this is being kept at a very high quality because it's doing a very important job. That could have been burnt in the 1500s and then it would have been very low quality very quickly, albeit doing a useful job. 
So if you think about applying that to today's economy, a piece of timber could be burnt, which we do in many countries, or that piece of timber could be made into a table. At the end of the life of that table, the table could be broken down and turned into particle board. Um, at the end of the life of that particle board, it could be broken down and it could turn into compost if it was intelligently designed. So think about what we call cascading. How can you use the item you have for as long as possible? It could be said for cotton. You could make a T-shirt. That T-shirt could become wadding or stuffing or padding or sound insulation. And then eventually, if it's you know, non-toxic, organic and biodegradable, it could feed back into that biological system. So it's not just the biodegradable things we think of, you know, like food waste or human waste or leaves from trees. It's also the bigger things, you know, these things and the fibres. How can we keep those in use for as long as possible? How can we keep them at their highest value? And you've just described uh, throughout that process, not just one person or business making use of a resource, but potentially many more stages beyond that. Mm. And it's interesting to think about how a whole economy would work mm. if there were many, many more opportunities mm. for small and large businesses yes. or individuals to make use of the things that are either coming out of the ground or that are being grown. Mm. So many loops, so many innovations and, and a different way of thinking. You know, if you put a toxic ink on a piece of paper when you print it, then actually you can't really recycle that paper and turn it into, you know, a, a packet of a cereal, uh, you know, cereal box, for example. So. So think about how you design. Think about what system you're designing for. If it's the biological system, make it, make it biodegradable, make it have value. And on the biological cycle, people often talk about things being regenerative mm -hmm. or regenerating natural systems. What do we mean by regenerative and why is it so, such an important part of that mm. biological story? I see you know, regeneration as an opportunity. We've been so extractive and so consumptive for so many years. You know, we talk about you know, 60 harvests left before topsoil degradation means we can't really grow anything in the way we do today. I mean, that's quite critical. But if you can collect all the biological material, the, the human waste, the food waste, the food production waste, and feed that back into the system, you have the ability to regenerate it. You can actually leave it better than it was when you found it, which in today's world is a phenomenal opportunity. You know, we're so used to thinking, let's just make this last a bit longer. Let's eke out what we've got a bit longer. But this is a completely different way of thinking. Let's actually make it better. Let's regenerate it. Let's make it richer. Let's make it hold more water. Let's make it better land. It's that flipped perception from how can we just minimise the negative impacts to mm. how can we... Build something better. To, to have a positive impact with, with all the um, different activities that are going on in the economy every day. Absolutely. It's a completely different mindset. Hey again, it's Joe. I really hope you enjoyed part two of the conversation with Ellen MacArthur. We find that looking at the circular economy in this way, breaking it down into these different loops, offers different possibilities of how you might get started in thinking about the transition to a circular economy. So taking the old way of take, make, waste and rethinking it so that the products, materials, components never end up as waste so they keep providing value within the economy. So that's part two. In part three we're going to look more specifically at the topic of design again with lots of examples of who's doing it and how you might be able to get started with it. So hopefully that'll be a source of some inspiration. We look forward to you joining us again in part three. Bye. <laughs>